We'll be in Exodus chapter 20, continuing our series through the Ten Commandments uh, this morning on the Ninth Commandment, nearing the end of that series uh, that we'll finish off next week and then begin a series going through First Peter in July. So we're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 this morning, looking at the Ninth Commandment. Exodus 20, verse 16 says this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I think I've mentioned it a few times that when I was in college, right out of high school actually, I had a part-time job at the county jail. I was a guard, believe it or not. I know you you might not think that whenever you uh, look at me or whenever you meet me. I was tasked with keeping all the prisoners in line with nothing but a radio and these hands. As much command as I could possibly put behind my voice to say, hey, stop that. Up against the wall. And uh, while there were, were a lot of things that shocked me about that job, maybe the first one I encountered in, in the long line of things that surprised me about that job that I had, the first thing uh, that I encountered that shocked me was the interview process. Because they didn't have me run a mile. They didn't have me lift weights. I didn't have to write a report or memorize the penal code. But they did make me take a lie detector test a polygraph. And I found out later that that's actually usually the part where most people fail, where most people who don't get the job don't get it because they failed the lie detector test. And I thought that was strange. I asked why that was even part of the process at all. And the detective said that they figured they could teach pretty much anybody the rules, the procedures, the radio codes, the do's and don'ts of the job. Maybe even the self-defense but they said that they couldn't teach someone, to be honest. They said, if they can't really trust what you say, then none of the rest of it really matters. If you're going to bear false witness, then it doesn't matter what you write on the report or how you format it. Not bearing false witness, though it might seem like one of the lighter commands of the Ten Commandments, it's actually foundational. It's very important to the rest. God told us not to bear false witness, and today we'll examine God's command not to lie under oath by answering the same four questions that we have for each commandment so far. Question number one, why is bearing false witness wrong? Why should we obey this command? Question number two, how do we break this commandment today? Question number three, how has Christ fulfilled or transformed this commandment? And then number four, what do we do to obey this command now? So to answer our first question, why is it wrong to bear false witness? I'll give three reasons shortly. Uh, First, I think it's wrong to bear false witness against your neighbor because that witness is false. It's not true witness. You're attesting to something that isn't real, but you're treating it as if it is. You're unmaking reality. There's simply something unnatural, something particularly obscene in seeing reality, knowing what it is, having it right in front of your face, but then denying it, speaking the opposite of what you already know to be true. False witness is wrong because it's simply not real. It's trying to unmake the reality that is and reshape it in some other mutated or deformed way. It's wrong simply because it's false. But it's also wrong because it's false witness against your neighbor. It's not just incorrect. It's incorrect with a consequence against your neighbor. It's a consequence for someone else. 
This is a sin that's against someone. And in the context in the Ten Commandments, it's specifically a courtroom context that the commandment's talking about here. It's false witness as like from a witness giving testimony in a courtroom under oath. Think perjury here, lying under oath. But the reason it's phrased this way isn't for us to, to limit it to say that it's only wrong for you to bear false witness whenever you're under oath, as if lying whenever you're not on the witness stand is okay. It's to emphasize the severity of the sin at really the most extreme case. The other commands also work the same way. It's not like murder is wrong, but beating someone within an inch of their life, that's totally fine. No, murder is wrong. Therefore, all the things that lead to murder are also wrong. It's the same thing with false witness. That yes, lying under oath when you've sworn to tell the truth, that's, that's obviously bad. But also all those other lies are incorrect too. It's all wrong. And to show you that, God gives... Uh, and prohibits the most extreme case. False witness is the extreme case because your false witness in the courtroom context isn't just a lie. It's not just a lie like any other lie might be. It isn't just denying reality. It's denying reality to the direct harm of your neighbor. The guy you're testifying against, he could actually die based on what you say on the witness stand. So you have to tell the truth for his sake. Without this command, there's really no legal system, right? How can anyone ever be charged with a crime if it doesn't matter if they actually committed it or not? If lying on the witness stand is fine, then there's no justice. Keeping the commands doesn't matter because you can say that you did keep the commands and that they didn't with some terrible consequences. Bearing false witness, that's a a direct harm against your neighbor, so it's wrong. But when we zoom out just a little bit on this command taking its principle and applying it to a a wider context, false witness is wrong because it's false, but God is true. He is truth. He is the absolutely true reality to which everything else only derives its truth from. From his singular true existence, we exist. From his unchangeable truth, he makes promises to his people that are true. 1 John 1.5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So your lies, they're not merely wrong because you're in a courtroom and you're under oath. They're not merely wrong because you lied to someone or you lied about someone. Your lie is wrong because that lie is directly opposite to God's nature. Thomas Watson, my, my favorite Puritan, said this about this commandment. He said, to lie is to speak that which one knows to be an untruth. There is nothing more contrary to God than a lie. Lies are wrong because they aren't true and because they're against your neighbor. But more importantly, every lie you tell is against God, who is truth. And he simply doesn't tolerate lies. Revelation 22, verse 15 says this, outside the gates of New Jerusalem, that's the context is talking about, outside of those gates of heaven are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So outside of heaven are liars, right alongside sorcerers and murderers. False witness is wrong and God hates it. 
So what does that look like for us to bear false witness? How do we break this commandment today? To, to answer that second question, let me give several examples, some which will be pretty obvious to you, I think, and some that might be less obvious. I think we can break this command directly in the same way that an Israelite could by, you know, bearing false witness. If you're ever called to be on a witness stand, you put your right hand on the Bible and you swear to, hell, swear, swear to tell uh, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and then you don't do that, you broke the command. That's obvious. We still have courtrooms. We still have witnesses. We still have perjury laws. You can't lie under oath. If you get called to the witness stand and say things that aren't true, you have broken the commandment. Yes. And I'm sure we know that. But I think it's worth pointing out the severity of this sin here because of what the Old Testament law actually says later about the same thing. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 18 and 19 say this. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So you lying under oath, you giving a false accusation, you saying they did something that they didn't actually do in the Old Testament meant that you now were going to receive the penalty that you were trying to make them receive. If you said, I saw him commit murder, the penalty for murder is death, and you lied about that, guess who now is getting the death penalty? You. False witness isn't one of the lesser commandments. It's not something that doesn't matter so much if we break this one just because, you know, we didn't kill anybody directly. This is serious stuff. Lying is serious stuff. False witness against your brother or false witness at all doesn't have to only happen in a courtroom. We break this commandment every time we tell a lie. Now, those can be big lies. Those can be I am not a crook lies, or they can be small lies, what we might often call white lies. Hey, we're at the restaurant. Where are you? Uh, I'm on my way. As you get off the couch and grab your keys and then head out the door. Liar. How is the baked chicken? Great. It wasn't too dry? Nope, not at all. Okay, liar. Might be a little white lie, maybe, that we would say, but it's still a lie. I bet I could throw a football over them mountains. Liar. You might think that no one is hurt by those lies, but they're lies all the same. And some of those lies are more obvious than others. Some of them are totally lies, while others at least have some semblance of truth. But incomplete truths... Those are usually still lies. You lied because you didn't tell them the whole truth. The pants may have shrunk in the washer, but it's actually more likely that the pants didn't fit because you've had McDonald's every day for the past week. Both things may be true at the same time, but if you only say one rather than the other, I don't think you're actually telling the whole truth. You can say something that's true while omitting, while leaving out the real truth. And because you've given an incomplete truth, you probably bore false witness. More often for us, I think this ends up looking like slander. What we do is we cast everything in the worst possible light about the people that we're slandering. We might even be able to do this without telling a lie. But if we're only giving a certain version of the truth through our own colored lenses, which ends up casting them in a worse light than is true, then that's slander. We're lying. We're communicating something about them that isn't actually true. 
And for people who are on the internet as often as most of us are, we see this all the time, right? When one political party attacks the other, it's usually slander. When Hawk fans accuse the SEC officials of having out for us, though there might be little kernels of truth to that, it's usually slander. When we post a meme that we think is funny because we agree with it, but those who disagree don't love it so much, I think that's usually slander. A good rule to avoid slander in these arenas is to always try to take the strongest position possible for the person that you're disagreeing with. What you do is you assume the best of that person. You take the best form of their argument. You assume that they're operating in good faith, actually believing whatever it is that they say. You're probably not ready to argue against them until you can say what they believe in such a way that they would agree with what you're saying that they're saying with what you're accusing them of believing. Anything else, anything less, I think that's probably slander. And if they say, that's that's not actually what I think. If you say, no, this is what you believe, and they say, no, I don't, I think you're slandering them whenever you say that. You lied about them by saying something that wasn't the complete truth about them. And I think we need to remember that next time we start talking about them, whoever they are for us. Those people who are so obviously wrong, whoever they are. I think we've got to remember not to bear false witness by not slandering them. So lying can be done against someone, but I think it can also be done for someone. I think flattery breaks this command. When you give them a compliment that isn't actually true, even though it's a comforting lie, even though it might make you or them feel better, I think it's still a lie. After I preached my first sermon in college, I was probably 19, 20 years old, in a room that was very similar to this. I went, I preached, I got down, I had to go to the back of the room and shake everyone's hand as they left, and there was a sweet old man who came up, shook my hand, looked me in the eyes, and said, son, that was the greatest sermon I have ever heard in my entire life. Liar! (laughs) I've read that sermon. I've gone back and listened to that sermon. It was not the greatest sermon he had ever heard in his life. I still haven't preached the greatest sermon that any of you have ever heard in your lives, and I've had been had like two years worth of practice trying to do it and still haven't gotten there. There is no way that it was the best sermon he'd ever heard in his life. But he was trying to encourage me, right? He was trying to, to make me feel better about whatever I had done, as bad as it probably was. But he flattered me. He lied to me whenever he said that. I think that flattery is a lie, but I think so is anti-flattery. I actually think it breaks this command. I think it bears false witness to speak the truth to someone without having any love for them. Flattery is having so much love for them that you fail to speak the truth to them, or at least that's the the way we think about it. But anti-flattery, truth without love, is to have so little love for them that we speak the truth to them in the most hurtful way we possibly can. To speak the truth to someone without love in those words, without love in that truth, I think that still breaks this commandment. The way you say something actually impacts what you're saying. The medium is the message oftentimes. I think you have an obligation to yourself, to them, and to God to speak the truth to speak the truth to them. Absolutely. But if you don't speak the truth in love, then how true can your words actually be? 
Because God is love and God is truth, light without any shade of darkness. I don't think you can arrive at truth without also arriving, in some sense, at love. And any relative who's ever been to a t-ball game, I think, knows this intuitively. After the game, what do you do? You tell them, great job. Way to go, buddy. I think you're telling them the truth. And you're speaking it in love. They did a great job. They took one more step closer to figuring out the game of baseball. They only hit the tee twice instead of three times this week. That's great. Way to go. Good job. I don't think it's any more true for you to say, man, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. That may have been the worst game of organized sports I've ever seen. You don't need a baseball bat. You need a, a canoe paddle. You guys were out there for an hour and you didn't get a single person out. Why are you even playing this game? I think if you said that to the four-year-old who's walking off the t-ball field, that doesn't make you such a truth teller that you sure someone who should be uh, followed, someone who should be emulated. You have to speak the truth to them in love for them. Augustine said the truth or the tongue inflicts greater wounds than the sword. And I think we all know that that's true. It's not enough to speak the truth. If our truth has no love, I don't think we're fulfilling this command. There's a way to say even the hardest truths that have to be said without failing to love the person that we're speaking to. You can do it if you love them, if you're willing to to pepper your words with love. Look, son, I, I know you're confused. I know you think you found the answer for why you feel so disconnected from everyone else, why you feel like a square peg in a round hole that doesn't fit in this world. But you're my son, and I just can't refer to you as she. I would be lying to do that, to call you a man by a woman's terms. And I don't think I can love you and lie to you at the same time, even though that's what you're asking me to do. So I hope that we can still maintain our relationship even as I'm going to continue calling you by your masculine pronouns. I think there's a way that you can say that very hard truth that needs to be said peppered with love. That's very much possible. It's more true and also more loving than to respond to someone in that same situation by saying, no, I don't call my cocker spaniel a chicken. I'm not calling you a woman. Those are the same truth, roughly, right? You're acknowledging reality. You're landing in the same spot. But one was seasoned with love for the person who is made in the image of God right before you. And the other one was a cheap way to get Facebook likes. I think if we're going to be people who speak the truth, we have to be people who speak the truth in love. Truth without love, I think, violates this command. So then that that brings us to Jesus, right? Jesus, who fulfilled and transformed this for us. Our third question today. Well, Christ fulfilled this command by not only never lying, but by being truth itself. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is nothing more true, nothing more real than our God revealed in Jesus Christ. 
He is truth. Lying isn't even an option for him. And when you, when you zoom out, when you start to think about what that might actually mean, see how crazy it is to even think that God could tell a lie. He speaks things into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light, though there was not light before he said, let there be light. By his own creative power, all things have been made. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If he says it, it is. Not simply because he doesn't say lies, but because by him saying it, he makes it so. So let me settle down to this point just a little bit today and remind you that for those who are in Christ, those who have repented and believed by grace through faith in his gospel, in Christ's finished work on the cross to atone for our sins, for us, he has said that we are righteous in Christ and he does not tell lies. He can't. So if he says that you are righteous because you're in Christ, then you are righteous because you are in Christ. He's not winking at your sin and acting as if it doesn't exist. He's not saying something about you that isn't true. He says that you are holy, therefore you are holy. He says that you are his child, therefore you are his child. He says that you're not only a child, but a son. Not only a son, but an heir. And he's not lying when he says that about you. He's actually making that true for you by calling you those things. Once he says it, that's what it is. If he has declared your sins to be forgiven and your guilt atoned for, then guess what? Your sins have been forgiven and your guilt has been atoned for. What he says goes. And for his people, he has said that you are his treasured possession, his beloved children, that he will be your God and you will be his people so that no one could ever snatch you out of his hand. So if you ever start to doubt that, if you ever start to think that maybe that's not actually true, if you ever start to think that maybe he meant that, but he meant that for someone else, Maybe he meant that at at one time. He he loved you enough to die for you, but now he's changing his mind because he forgot that you were going to commit that one sin. If you start to think that when he said it is finished, he didn't really mean it for you. If you think his blood isn't enough to cover your sins, then let me call you what you are. Liar. He said it. It is so. It is as unshakably true as he is. Because Christ has fulfilled this command to never once bear false witness, then what he says about you is true as well. He's not a liar when it comes to his love for his people. And for we who are his people, he hasn't removed this requirement from the law for us, though he has fulfilled it. And he hasn't even really transformed it other than possibly expanding it. He doesn't directly address this commandment in the Sermon on the Mount like he does murder or adultery. But when he references oaths that people take, he says to let your yes be yes and let your no be no. So he's reaffirming that your word matters. That when you speak, 
you should be saying what is true to the extent that you don't need to swear on anything over your word, because what you say is always true. We still shouldn't bear false witness, which means that we still can't lie. So then what does that mean for us now? How do we obey this command as his people? It's our fourth and final question this morning. I think we can obey the commandment not to bear false witness by being people of truth, by being people of love, and by being people ultimately of Christ. I think we should be a people of truth. It is impossible to obey this command without being people who have a high value on what is true, such that our words, our actions, reflect that truth. We're Christians. Christians tell the truth. We say what is true in the big things, and we say what's true in the little things. We tell the truth even when it's costly, even when it might cost us our jobs, even when it might cost us our heads. We love the truth, and we think it's precious enough to stand on that truth, no matter what that might mean for us. We say what's true, no, that's not a marriage. We say what's true, no, that's not a woman. We say what's true, no, that election wasn't stolen. We say what's true, no, that person's not a Christian. We're a people of the truth because we're God's people, and our God is truth. Proverbs 12, says this, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Rather than lying and being an abomination to the Lord, we now act faithfully as his delight, as his people. He is our portion. He is our delight. So lies and Christians just don't mix. We're people of the truth all the way through, all the way down. But as I said earlier, I think that also means that we have to be a people of love. There is no truth without love. And there is no love without truth. Being people of truth doesn't mean that we are the biggest jerks on the planet. It doesn't mean that we're the first ones to jump into the debate, red-faced and screaming. It means we gently but firmly, softly but strongly, Humbly but unwaveringly plant our flag on the solid rock that will not be moved, and we hold on to what is true until our dying breath. We love both the truth and our neighbor enough to speak the truth to them. But we don't do that just so that we can check the box and say we told them the truth. If people hate the truth, that that's going to happen. That's inevitable that people will hate the truth. We can't control that. But if people hate you and therefore hate whatever you say because you're so obnoxious in speaking the truth that someone who agrees with you also wouldn't like you, then let me ask, what good does that do you? What extra credit do you get for speaking the truth in that instance? Do you honestly think that you've done your job there? No, I think we have to be people who speak the truth in love, who defend the truth in love, who display the truth in love. So really what that means for us is that we have to be people of Christ. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But just before Jesus ascended to heaven, do you remember what he said we should be, what we should do? Acts 1.8 says this, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you catch that? We're not to bear false witness, but we are to bear witness. We're to be Christ's witnesses throughout the whole world. We're supposed to bear not the false witness of the world, but the true witness of Christ to the world. Witness, testimony as to who he is, as to what he's done, as to his gospel. We're to take his gospel message, we're supposed to spread it throughout the whole earth, taking his truth and his love to his people so that they might repent and believe in his name for their salvation. So evangelism, preaching the gospel which is true to those who don't yet believe it, I think that's ultimately how we uphold and fulfill this command. That's how we be people who do not bear false witness. We replace the false witness that we could bear with the true witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we should bear. We're not false witnesses against our neighbor. We are true witnesses for our neighbor. We give them the truth that they don't yet believe in love for them so that they will believe. We bring the aroma of Christ to them, God making his appeal through us. We put no obstacles in anyone's way, not our prejudices, not our preferences, not our loudmouthed obnoxiousness or our cross-armed obstinance. We preach the gospel to them. The simple truth that Jesus Christ came as man to atone for the sins of the world, that he lived the perfect life that they couldn't live, that he atoned for the sins that they had committed through his sacrificial death on the cross. And then, though he was dead for three days, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death to give them the hope and promise of new life, of their own resurrection, which can be applied to them simply by faith, by repentance and belief. That's the gospel that we bring to them. That's the witness that we give to them. We preach the gospel to them how Charles Spurgeon said the gospel should be preached. He said this, I I pray this every week before I start preaching. He said, to preach the gospel is not to talk about what the gospel is, but to preach it into the heart, to speak as man to man and pour our heart into our fellow's heart. This, I take it, is to preach the gospel and not to mumble over some dry manuscript over on Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Nay, to preach the gospel is to proclaim with trumpet tongue and flaming zeal the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus so that men may hear and understanding may turn to God with full purpose of heart. This is to preach the gospel. That's how we become true witnesses. To preach the gospel with trumpet tongue and flaming zeal to show men the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus that they, that they might hear, that they might understand, and that they might turn to God with full purpose of heart. That's how we become true witnesses. That's how we finally and truly obey this commandment not to bear false witness against our neighbor. As I said, I, I pray that prayer every week, right before I start preaching. I say, let me preach the gospel to them. Let me proclaim with trumpet tongue and flaming zeal your unsearchable riches that they might hear, understand, and turn to you with full purpose of heart. Let me preach your words, not mine. 
And if you're looking for a way to bear true witness, the best way is to always say God's words, not yours. Because his words have no mixture of error within them. It's my prayer that I have not borne false witness against you today, but that I've preached the gospel to you. Even through the law that we have broken so often, through all of our lies, through all of our slander, through all of our white lies, through all of our flattery, it's my prayer today that you will understand and that you will turn to God with full purpose of heart to be a true witness to who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the chance to be able to share your word with your people. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help for us to hear it, to understand it, to respond in light of it. Help for us to be, a pe- to be a people who no longer bear false witness, who don't spread lies, who don't spread slander, who don't flatter, who don't give the truth without any mixture of love. But let us be true witnesses, people who share your gospel, people who preach your gospel, people who love you and your word so much that we now love our neighbor in light of that love, that we give the truth to our neighbor in light of that love. Help us to be a people of truth. Help us to be a people of love. Help us to be a people ultimately marked by you and your gospel. Help us to no longer bear false witness, but to bear true witness to you and your gospel Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.